Pray that God will speak to all of our hearts, even as we continue to discuss the book of Genesis. Why do we discuss the book of Genesis? It tells us of the beginning, the start of everything that we know about the world, about Christianity, and about what's going on around us. It's important to study this. And as we've shared with you, the focus of our study in the book of Genesis would be four great events. The creation which we've discussed, the fall of man, the flood, the nations, and then we'll speak about four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, what did we talk about last week? We talked about rest. We said that we should be able to rest well because God remembers us. We talked about Noah and the warnings that God gave to Noah. And God promised Noah that never again will he destroy the world through a flood. And if you've been paying attention and singing with us, the next time God executes judgment will no longer be through the flood. His fire is going to come down. When he returns, it will be in all his glory, his beauty, and his splendor. And we talked about last week, R means remember God's faithfulness, that you should read the Bible so that you know the promises of God are for you and that none of his promises have yet failed. So you can rest well because God remembers, because he's faithful towards you. You can expect new things. Even as God basically pushed the restart button and cleared the whole board and left Noah and his family to repopulate the earth, you can expect new things. And if you are in Christ, behold, old things have gone, new things have come. And you can savor God's covenant. When He says something, He will be faithful to do it. Even if you are not faithful to do your part, God will still do His part because that's who God is. He cannot disown Himself. And T, you can really turn your storms into opportunities for worship. Our brother Mike Yao shared with us as he prepared our hearts that some of us may be going through some tough times. You don't have to wallow in your sorrow, in your grief, you can really turn your storms into worship. A lot of people, a lot of our family, spiritual family members in Manila have been passing away. And I sent an, a Facebook message to two people who were part of the music ministry whose mother had passed. And I say, I'm sorry I cannot be there with you during your time of grief. And one of them replied, Pastor, we're not really grieving. We're more rejoicing that her suffering has ended because to see our mother being eaten away by the cancer, her passing, her going to the Lord is more of a relief. So you can turn your storms into worship because God remembers you. He knows you by name. He knows you, even the numbers of your hair. Some of us, it takes God a little longer 
Some of God, next, next. But that's fine. I, I'm beginning to be part of that club. And we discussed in Genesis chapter 8, when the waters had receded, God gave Noah another command. He said, go out of the ark, you, your sons, and your, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with them every living thing of all flesh that is with you. Because God commanded Noah to bring every kind of animal. Because he was going to repopulate the earth. So he said, go out. And at the end, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. God gave them explicit commands. And in, verse, in chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Isn't this the same command that God gave to Adam and Eve? That was the beginning. God pushed the restart button. And now the same command he now gave to Noah and his family. In verse 7, the same thing. As for you, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and your wives, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. I know that these words are true when the Bible says, populate the earth abundantly because I am the seventh of nine children. In the olden days, I refer them to the olden days. You know, we're nine. My other cousins are ten. My other cousins are seven. The other one is only five. Because my uncle had passed away young. I'm sure he lived longer. You know, we have a basketball team. We have a volleyball team. We have a football team. Multiply abundantly. Fill the earth. Right? This morning, we speak about the fourth event, the nations. Many of us know this to be the story about the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. And we begin, of course, with chapter 10. But then look at chapter 10, verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. What was the command to them? Multiply the earth, fill it, populate it abundantly. So did they obey? Yes, they had obeyed. And in verse 32, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. That concludes chapter 10. By the way we are going, we will finish Genesis by tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. Why do I skip from verse 1 to verse 32? If you have time to read, you will see all the clans, all the family lines, the genealogy, that they were faithful to obey God. Alright? So we're not going to discuss each one. Suffice it to know that between verse 1 and verse 32... These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines. So they obeyed God. They obeyed God. And in chapter 11, which will be our reading for this morning, we will discuss what happened, how they were able to populate the land. 
Let's all stand and read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Read with all of us. Now, the earth... Come. They said, Come. Let us make for ourselves a name. The Lord said, Come, let us go down. They are confused their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray. God Almighty, thank you that we have the opportunity, the freedom, to read your word, to share it, to preach it. But more importantly, Lord, to understand and obey what you've commanded your people. Be blessed, Lord God, at the preaching of your word. Be pleased, Lord God, to have your people here listen to what you have to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that for all of us who are here, who hear these words, that we will be wise to put them into practice. In obedience, Lord God, and in humility, we come before you this morning. Be glorified, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Most of, most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, verse 1 and 2 reads, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. What is the number one spoken language in the world today? Answer? You see, even we, we do not understand ourselves. <laughs> the number one spoken language in the world today is Chinese. It is not English. It is Chinese. Why? The sheer numbers of the Chinese people. They're billions. What's the second? English, second. English is number two. If you have the same language, if you speak the same dialect, there is communication, there is understanding, there is unity, right? This was the case during their time. The whole earth used the same language. Who was the whole earth? Or all the descendants of Noah at the start. They were repopulating the earth, so they spoke basically the same language. And what did they do in verse 2? It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Here is a map. There you see the place of Shinar. Shinar is, of course, in the Middle East. It is close to Iraq. It is close to Babylon. 
they settled there. What did God command them to do? Didn't God command them to fill the earth? How can you fill the earth if you just settle in one place? Will you be able to reach? Look at that picture. Will you be able to reach all of that desert region if you just chose to stay in one place? Most probably, you will not. And what did they do? They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. What did they do? Before you would use stone, or you would use wood, you would do this, you would do that, right? Now they were using a different kind of material. They chose to make bricks and they burned the bricks. Why would you burn the brick? So that it will be solid, it will be strong. Thereby, you can build one on top of the other and make a foundation. Right? Now, verse 4. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What was their fear? That they would be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. What did God command them in the first place? That they should be scattered and be spread abroad so that they can repopulate the earth. Yes? What was their concern? Let's not get scattered. We should stay together. Right? Sometimes in our small group meetings, we want to what? Stay together. Why? Who is that? Why did you invite? Mm. Yes or no? Yes or no? Or... Mm. We have to be open. Why? Right? We want to be scattered. Why? We, we know the Bible. We want to share it with anyone and everyone. But when, once we become clannish, we become clannish, what happens? When you invite people, they will literally, they bounce off. That's why we challenge you. When you see an unfamiliar face, greet them. Say hello. Welcome. Who invited you? Are you here for vacation? Do you live here now? Would you like to join us? Be open. Let God use you. For those of you who are your first time, I thank you for visiting with us. I hope you feel most welcome and you feel our warmth. Who were they talking about? Who were they talking about? Who were they talking about? What was their focus? Look. Let us, let us, let us. What was their focus? Themselves. Now, what is the word ego? Ego, the I or self of any person, 
a person as thinking, feeling, and willing, and distinguishing itself from the selves of others and from objects of its thought. So who were they thinking about? Themselves. Me, myself. You see, you know it. Oh, you're going... No, don't use that. That's that acrostic for in song, not I. You know, the whole name is in song, not I. I'm not the I there. I hope not. Look at what were they thinking. Let us make bricks. Let us build, finish. Let us make for what was their focus? Today, the focus in the world, I hope not here in CCF, is what? I must look out for number one. And who is number one? Me. Right? I hope. Do you do this? Mm. Do you do that? Come on, be honest. Look, even the terrorists in the corner. Look at him. How about the lady in the middle? She's, she's going to be eaten by a great white shark. And what is she be busy doing? Huh? Ah, selfie. You know that the Oxford Dictionary already has a definition for that? Look. Let's all read it. Selfie. A photograph one has taken of oneself, typically one taken with a smartphone or webcam and uploaded to a social media website. Oxford Dictionary. Imagine. Before, this is an observation. Huh? Before, during weddings, the after wedding photos are much faster. You know why? This is my observation. You have only one photographer. Right? Now, what happens? Oh, it, how about this? Icon one. Me too, me too. How about the other one? Everybody has a, everybody has a cell phone, and everybody wants to have a picture of the same photo in their cell phone. If they're busy, okay. All right. How about that from the back? Now I don't need photographer. I have this thingamajig. What do you call this? Selfie stick. You know that the selfie stick is now banned in a lot of amusement parks? Why? Because I don't know, maybe somebody got it. <laughs> How about this side? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody wants to take your picture. Maybe somebody is trying to tell you something. You know, there are selfies, but there's also what is called a power selfie. Look. Look at the power selfie. You see that? Who is that? That is the Prime Minister of England. 
You have President Obama. I forget who is that one in the middle. She looks like Cameron Diaz, but I don't think that is her. <laughs> Alright? Is there any problem with this? Is there any problem? Let me ask you. Is there any problem with taking this kind of selfie pictures? Is there a problem, yes or no? Some say yes, some say no. In this particular instance, I submit to you, this is kind of off. Oh, Pastor, you're so judgmental. What is that? What is dying? What battery? This one? Wait, let me take a selfie muna. Okay, come. The problem is this. That's the problem. What's the problem? When were they taking the selfie? Is it appropriate? Nothing wrong with selfie. Right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with selfie. Look, even Mrs. Obama is... See, imagine you're doing a selfie and it's... It's a funeral. What's the title of the message today? Okay? I'm not saying don't take a selfie. I'm saying don't be a selfie. Don't be a selfie. Which means what? Don't be selfish. Do not only look to yourself. Look at the interests of others. They wanted to be amongst just themselves. God told them, fill the earth. They said, let's just stay here. Who were they focused on? Themselves. Why is it very dangerous if you want to be a selfie? That's why don't be a selfie. Isaiah 14, 13 to 14. Speaking about Lucifer, the most beautiful angel that God had created. He said, I will, let's take up, he said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit down on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. How many times? It's all about him. And worse, he said, I will make myself like the most high. So what did God do? He's faithful to his word. He said in Proverbs 16 verse 8, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. So what did God do? God threw Lucifer out of heaven. And where was Lucifer? In the Garden of Eden. Don't think only about yourself. Don't be a selfie. You 
can take a selfie. Just don't be one. Don't focus on yourself. Genesis 11. The Lord came down to see the city which the sons of men have built. So how did they build the city? They burned the bricks. They start building it one on top of the other. And so to speak, God took notice. He said, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. Behold, they are one people and they have the same language. And this is what they had begun to do. And now nothing will they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Guys, there's nothing wrong with building. There's nothing wrong. But look at what I highlighted for you in the last sentence. And this is what they began to do. This began the, 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 they began to focus on this. They did not look to God anymore. They began to focus on this building. Now, what's wrong? The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. Chinese calligraphy for tower. For the word tower. You have some da dust. You have grass. You mix them. You make what? Bricks. You have people, one, and mouth. You have the word tower. One people with one language, putting together dust and grass. Means tower. Nothing wrong with building. Look at these beautiful buildings. The Eiffel Tower. Have you been there? Do you like to go there? You know you cannot take a picture of the Eiffel Tower at night. You will be fined. It is against the law. Hmm, see? How about the Empire State Building? If you go to New York, you want to go visit the Empire State Building? What movie was that? Was that You've Got Mail or something? Sleepless in Seattle. Ayan. Netflix. Okay? But it's not enough that Paris has their building... It's not enough that the U.S. has their building. Ah, we will build our own building too. Ah, two. And then you have a crosswalk. The Petronas Towers in Malaysia. Ah, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have a taller one. Taipei 101. Ah. So now what is the, what's the race? The tallest building. The Empire State Building is short now. I think this is even the, 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 the Sears Tower is now even bigger, I think, or taller than the Empire State Building. Ah, wait, 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 wait. Oh. See? Now it's who has the tallest building, right? Uh, the Philippines will not be left behind. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes, the Rice Towers! Just like the rice terraces, we will build rice tower. No, that's not what they did. They began to build, as scholars and archaeologists are saying, this type of building, a circular spiral building going up. It is called a ziggurat. There is nothing wrong with building. Nothing wrong. 
But then, look at their motive. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will what? Why were they building a building? Why were they building a tower? Because they wanted to reach heaven. Imagine. And what's the purpose? To make a name for themselves. In the Philippines, you will know. There are a lot of apartments, high-rise condominiums being built. But you will notice that there is one building. As a matter of fact, there are a lot. One company on top. No. Brother Bal knows it. In God, we trust. Always. Always. In all the buildings, you will see that building is different. It has in God we trust. These people want to build this tower, this building, to reach heaven. Why? So that they can make a name for themselves. Here in the U.S., the same thing. You have this building, that building going up. What do they do? They pay millions. It's called naming rights. This stadium, AT&T Stadium, where is that? In Texas. I don't know how much AT&T paid for that. Staples Center. Originally, I thought Staples, wow, they're so rich. Staples is just office supplies. No. They named that. AIG, AMC, all kinds. Why? They want their name up there. These people, the descendants of Noah, built this tower, number one, so that they can reach heaven, number two, so that they can make a name for themselves. They focused on themselves. The problem with that is this. When proud men set themselves against the sovereign God, God always wins. God always wins. Because he already said it in James chapter 4. But he gives greater grace. Therefore it says, God is what? God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So, you want to be against Almighty God? You want Almighty God to be your opponent? Simple. Be proud. And do you think you and I will win against God? You think that if we just come together as one people, we will win over God? The answer is no. Look at some people who decided to go against the commands of God. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. The background is the people wanted the king. All right. God said, since these people do not wish to recognize me as their king, they want kings, fine. So, the first king was King Saul. And Samuel told King Saul, And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. So, who is going to be anointed king? Saul. Who is going to do the anointing? Samuel. What is the instruction by, of Samuel to Saul? Go to Gilgal, wait seven days, 
I will go to you. I will do the offering. Clear? Alright. Jump now to verse thir- chapter 13. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Go to Gilgal, wait seven days, I will come to you, I will do the offering. What happened? They were at war. In Saul's mind, it was already seven days. Where is Samuel? The people are already scattering, afraid of the Philippines. I gotta do something. What did he do? Philippines? Philistines. Sorry. My roots. What did Saul do? He said, I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Can somebody force you to do something? In reality, no. You choose to do something. Right? So what happened? Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded for you. Now the Lord God would have established your kingdom of Israel forever. In the eyes of King Saul, he obeyed. But he did not obey completely. When we say that we obey God, it stands to reason that we will be obeying all. Right? It stands to reason. If I say that my children are obedient, the connotation is they obey everything that I command them. If not, they're in some respects disobedient. Yes or no? In the, uh, in the mind and in the eyes of King Saul, he was obedient. I went to Gilgal. I waited for you seven days. But, ah, yan na. But, you didn't make it in time. Oh, was the seven days already completely elapsed? I guess not. Because the moment that he made the offering, ta-da! Who is there? Samuel. What have you done? You disobeyed the Lord's command. Now, because you disobeyed the Lord's command, the kingdom which would have been for, with you forever is removed from you. Who is the next king? King David. Why? Because Saul had no heart for God. This other guy, Jonah, not Lucero. Jonah. Alright? Not the Lucero. Jonah the prophet, not Jonah the Lucero. Jonah the reluctant prophet. Look at what God told Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God chose Noah 
and uh, Jonah and tell Jonah, you go to the city of Nineveh. You prophesy. You preach to them. God has seen your wickedness. Tell them that God has seen your wickedness, that they should repent. So what does Jonah do? Very fast. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it, go with them to, tar to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What did God tell Jonah to do? Go to Nineveh. Yes, Lord. <laughs> he wanted to leave the presence of God. Why did God want to send Jonah to Nineveh? So that the people in Nineveh would be saved. That they would be re repentant of their sins. Jonah, I'm going to use you to preach to these people that they should repent. Yes, Lord. What happened? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now we don't know what kind of fish. So don't tell me what kind of fish. Because the Bible is silent. A fish big enough to swallow Jonah. And he stayed there for three days and three nights. Oh, pastor. That is a urban legend. That's a myth. That's not really true. I mean, you just think about it. How can a fish swallow a human being and after three days that human being is still alive? Well, if this were not true, why would Jesus refer to it in the New Testament? That as Jonah was in the fish for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the tomb for three days and then after three days resurrect. It's no accident. There's no coincidence with God. Just appointments. He chose not to follow God. He chose to run away from God. And God intervened. God used a fish to swallow him up. Why? God is opposed to the proud. In contrast, what? God gives grace to the humble. 2 Samuel, talking about King David. Fast forward. David had already taken Bathsheba. Bathsheba is already pregnant. David had already had Uriah the Hittite killed. He lied. He committed adultery. He stole the wife of Uriah. He had him killed. He did all kinds of evil stuff. And God used the same prophet Samuel to speak to the king. And the Lord sent Nathan, um, this one, Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There are two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had, a great, had great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of its bread, drink of its cup, and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Some of you have pets. Some of your pets have never touched the earth. Because you take so good care. It sits and eats with you at the table. You know, when your pets die, just like human beings, you grieve. Some of you have funeral service for them. Our D group member in Manila, the ashes of her dog is in the mantle. I kid you not. 
The dog has a high chair. It doesn't like me. I sit beside it. It always growls and barks at me. In this man, it was a lamb. He bought the lamb. He took care of it, treated it as one of his family members. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So what did the rich man do? Instead of taking from his own big flock and herd, he stole from this poor man who had just one ewe lamb. One ewe lamb that he had taken care of, that he loved as his own, his own member of the family. So when Nathan brought this story to King David, look at the response. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done it deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Huh? Very kingly. Nathan said to David, You the man! Thus says the Lord of God, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. You are that man. Accountability. Different style. Let me tell you a story. Bro, this is you. You better change. You are the man. Ah, remember, David is the king. If he could have Uriah the Hittite killed, could he not have Nathan also killed? Yes or no? Yes. My friends, that's why when we have accountability, those who bear with us, when it comes to the word of the Lord, right? We don't mince words. Friendship cannot be higher than what the Bible says. So if I, we have to call each other's attention, we must be open. Why? God wants to speak to us, even through these people around us. In this case, God chose Nathan. You are the man. And what did David do? And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Why? Because David chose to be humble. But he gives greater grace. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Apostle Paul, who wrote majority of the New Testament, he could have been proud. He was already of a proud lineage, being trained by one of the most respected people, trainers, Gamaliel. He was not only an ordinary Pharisee, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was at the top of his class. He was proud of who he was. That's why he chased people, those who believe in Christ. He ran after them and put them in jail. But when Christ called him to service, and God began to minister to him, to use him mightily, what did he say? He said, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which 
the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See guys, if you're humble, you don't need to be proud of it. You know, pastor, I'm so humble. <laughs> I'm so humble now, I'm proud of it. You see, by, by your actions, by what you do, people around you will already know if you are a humble person or not. Pastor Danny alluded it sometime before in his message, kill pride or it will kill you. Body odor and pride, they're the same. Everyone knows you have body odor except you. Okay? Same thing with pride. Everybody knows that you are proud except you. So somebody has to tell you. Now, if you just go about being humble and doing things humbly, people around you will take notice. I did not ask permission from this man whose video I will show you because I know he's, he's going to say no, but I do it anyway. <laughs> can, we, can we turn off the lights, please? Just there behind the doors. It's a very short video, one minute and 30-something uh, seconds, okay? Because God gives greater grace because God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. operations supervisor. I am responsible for uh, moving services. I'm responsible for alarm services, pest control, and custodial. When I come in day in and day out, my goal is to encourage my staff. I want to make sure the staff are happy in what they're doing and encourage them to do things better. That makes my day. We set up rooms, we break down rooms, we clean carpets, we clean floors, and all the restrooms are sanitized, all the cubicles are clean. That's why I think it's really critical that we are here day in and day out and perform our best. Hey Anthony, I got a request for vacuuming for 1036. Can you take care of that today? Sure. And by the way, good job yesterday. Thank you. I look forward coming to work every day because I work with great staff. When I receive emails or compliments about staff going beyond what is asked of them, and then when I see people talking to staff, giving them compliments, that completes my day. It means that my staff are interacting with people and they do their job properly and they give honor to their job. You see, he's right there, he's shaking his head. Why? It's not about him. Did you listen to what he was saying? My goal is to make my staff happy. My goal is to see that they do well. When they succeed, I succeed. He doesn't need to share this. I didn't ask him because I know he will say no. But we have to, you have to show this to teach us. We ought to be humble, just do our work, right? And when people notice, praise God. You don't need to call people. Look at me, huh? I'm very efficient, do you not notice? You don't need to. Your work will speak 
for itself. If you're humble, your work will speak for you. If you're pride, your work will also speak for you. Amen? Amen. God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Going back to Genesis 11 verse 7. Come, let us go down. Here you see the plural name of God again. Come, let us go down. And what? Confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. See, from this, from being one language, God came down, not literally, okay? And what did God do? God confused their language. Gulpi lang, hindi na sila mag-intindihanay. Kaya humble sila, dason, masilang patindog tani, ay hindi na pwede, kay drill lang kita. Makasabot man ka mo, na ka makasulti. Oh. See what happened? God confused their language. Why? What, what did God tell them? God told them, you go, fill the earth. What did they do? Oh, dito lang. Let's just stay here. So God had to do something. And the common denominator that they had, they were able to communicate with each other. So that they could band together. And it was not good. It was against what God wanted for them to do. So what did God do? God came down and confused their language. So what was the result? So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. You see, friends, it is still the grace of God. If God did not intervene, then they would continue to build and to disobey. God intervened. God intervenes in different ways. In this particular case, God intervened by confusing their tongues. They spoke different languages. And now what happened is those who spoke the same language had to separate themselves from those who didn't. And so on and so on and so on. And what happened? They were scattered all over the earth. And they stopped building. And what was the name of the building? Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. The word Babel means to confuse. The word Babel means to confound. It also has a reference for Babylon, which is near Iraq. The word Babel means gate of God. You see what they were trying trying to do? They were trying to reach God by building this temple for themselves so that they could make a name for themselves so that they could be famous. Don't be a selfie. Be an others-oriented man. God warned Noah. He warned Noah and told Noah I have seen the wickedness of man and I'm going to erase everything and I'm going to repopulate the earth through you. What does this have to do with us today? What does that warning have to do with us today? Second Timothy tells us in chapter 3, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be 
lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, tre treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, lover than, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godlessness, godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Friends, God is warning us today. What was going on in the time of Noah still goes on today. That's why Jesus said, Just as it is in the time of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You see it all around you. We can spend hours upon hours dissecting this verse and just see. But all of this is happening right here, right now. Yes or no? Yes. And God is warning us. And even in the Old Testament, we are warned in Micah chapter 6. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And what? To justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. People who do not know Christ may not come to Christ because of who we are. I am just a sinner saved by grace. And when I use my salvation okay, to reflect or to show them that I am self-righteous, they get turned off. They will look at me as a spiritually proud person. And they could say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because Micah is already telling us, what does God require us to do? To walk humbly with our God. Now, what does it mean to walk humbly with our God? The example of our Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 3. Do nothing from, selfish, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as what? As more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for what? The interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? Emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and may, being made in the likeness of man. You see, for you to be able to be humble, you have to kill pride. You have to empty yourself of whom? Of yourself. Because if you and I are not empty, how can the Holy Spirit fill us? You get the idea? If you are full of yourself, how can the Holy Spirit fill you? How can the Holy Spirit use you? Because you're full of yourself. Of all the people, the Lord Jesus Christ could have said, No, I am God. I am part of the Trinity. Why will I do that? But he said, Yes, 
What did he do? He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Yet, not my will, but thy will be done. And what did Jesus Christ do? He went to the cross. He emptied himself. Not only did he become a human being, creator God becoming part of his creation, he became a servant, a bond servant, the lowest of the low. And then what? He became obedience. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility, obedience. Grace is not contrary to obedience. Rather, if you really understand the grace of God, you will respond to that grace by doing anything and everything within your power and with the help of the Holy Spirit to obey all that God has commanded you. Grace responds in obedience. You do not accept grace and maintain your salvation through obedience. Because your obedience cannot save you. It is only the grace of God that can save you. Now that you are saved, begin to live a life of obedience. Which requires what? Humility. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the will of God. Even to die a death. A cruel and painful death. A death on the cross. And then what was the reward? For this reason. Also. God highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven. And on the earth. And under the earth. There is a reward to obedience. If you obey. God is pleased with you. And he will begin to move in your life. In more ways than you know. Some expected, some unexpected. But if you remember that God loves you, even the not so pleasant things that come into your life, you must trust God. We must trust God that God has a divine purpose for that. That is for your growth. Because He loves you. And the reward to humility is God will exalt you. Just like our brother Joel. Do you think? He really does his job so that he will come out on a video. Do you know that that video was shared to all the offices in LA County Board of Education? And who knows, one of these days, one of the supervisors, maybe even from the whole LA County, will want to meet with him. I saw your video. We need more like you. What makes you tick? Ah, you see, sir, I don't really work for you. You resign? You resign? <laughs> we don't want you to resign. No, no, sir. I mean, my real boss is God Almighty. He is my boss. I serve him. I work for him. Your recognition of what I do is just a bonus. My goal, my desire is to please Almighty God. And if in the process I get recognized, that's a praise to God. Not to me, sir. That belongs to God. 
God will exalt you. Humble yourselves therefore at the mighty hand of God. And in due time, in due time, not your timetable, God's timetable, in due time, He will lift you up. God scattered the people by confusing their tongues. But there will come a time that all the nations and all the tongues of all mankind will say this, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It does not matter whether you speak English, Hindu, Chinese, Kapampangan, Waray, Ilongo, Cebuano. It doesn't matter when this time comes, every tongue will confess, every tongue will say, Jesus is Lord. The only problem is this. If you already have Jesus Christ in your life, you will not have a problem coming down to your knees and declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if at that time you still do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's as if somebody is putting their hands on your shoulders and forcing you to your knees, and then you will say, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's too late. Because when that time comes, my friend, Jesus will be sitting in judgment. By that time, he is already the reigning king. And the decision and the time that God has given us to make that decision has lapsed. For those of you who already have Jesus Christ in your lives, you will be part of this multitude. After these things I saw, and behold, a great multitude which no man could number, out of every nation, of all tribes, all peoples, in all tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, arrayed in white robes and palms in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Are we a humble people this morning? We have to ask God. If you have the guts, Ask your spouse. If you have the guts, ask your children. No one will tell you unless you ask. Validate it. Ask the people around you. How can I be more humble? How can I be more like Christ? Ask. Just be prepared for the answer. This morning, we want to practice humility. We want to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ by sharing the Lord's table. Before we do, let me share with you the basis for what we're doing. In 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brought it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of our Lord. But let a man examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. We are commanded to commemorate the Lord's table. And the instructions to us are clear. We must examine ourselves. We must examine first and foremost if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we must examine if we are willing to follow and obey God no matter what. And that takes humility. So if you're that person this morning, come. Come to the front and partake of the juice and the bread. Come. Come forward. Come forward. Those of you who want to partake. Those of you who are not sure, just be in an attitude of prayer. Those of you who do not want to partake, that's between you and God. Nobody's going to judge you. If you're here this morning and you want to make your personal commitments to the Lord before we partake, let the Holy Spirit examine our hearts and our minds. God Almighty, we give you the freedom to move in this place. And would not like to be remiss, Lord God, by not allowing people who are here this morning who are not sure of their relationship with you to just lay by the side. So if you're here this morning, if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're not sure that Jesus Christ is in you, if you're not sure of where you're going when the time comes that the Lord takes you from this earth, perhaps now is the time for you to ask Jesus to come into your heart by praying something like this. Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you and I need your salvation. In humility, Lord, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. And make me the kind of Christian that you want me to be. I thank you for dying on the cross. And giving me the opportunity to receive eternal life today. If on the other hand, you're here this morning. And you're struggling in your walk and you want to make that commitment to the Lord, then just speak to the Lord. He's here. Whenever two or three are gathered in His name, He's there. So He's here, right here, right now. So just speak to Him, even as we pause before we partake. Taking the piece of bread which He broke, He gave to His disciples and said, Take and eat. For this is my body, which is given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking upon your body all of our sins. You bore the stripes that we should have borne. You went to the cross where we should have gone. But Lord Jesus, thank you for sacrificing your body for our sins. We remember, Lord God, and we rejoice that we can celebrate your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. Let's partake together. Taking the cup of wine, he said to his disciples, this is the cup 
of my blood, which is the new covenant. Take and remember, for this cup is for the remission of your sins. Lord Jesus, you said that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This element, Lord, this juice, which only represents your blood, we partake with humility and thanksgiving. For without your shedding of blood, Lord, our sins remain unforgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of your blood, when God the Father looks at us, He no longer sees our sins, but He sees your shed blood at Calvary. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for covering all of our sins with your blood. We rejoice, Lord God, that we have this relationship with you. Let's partake of the juice together. I'd like to call on Joel and his family. They've asked for prayer. They celebrate their son's birthday on the 8th. And they have been so gracious to us that they are treating us to lunch. So come and let's pray for this family. Let's praise God for the example of our... Okay, so let's pray for them before we close. Father God Almighty, I thank you for this family. Thank you, Lord God, for the humble example of our brother Joel. Thank you, Lord God, that they have chosen to celebrate their son's birthday here with their spiritual family. And I pray, Lord God, that you will bless this family, that you will bless them beyond measure, Lord God, that you, you will give them the desires of, your heart and con of their heart and continue to reveal yourself to them in a real and personal way. I pray, Lord God, for Adric, that through the example of his parents, he will grow up to be a man who will come to faith in Jesus Christ and will live his life out in humility and give honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you bless them, Lord God? Will you give them a double portion of your blessing now and forevermore? For this is our prayer for this family in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, amen and Amen. Thank you. Before we close, I'd like to share with you this song. And if you know it, sing. We worship God through singing. We worship God through the preaching of His Word. We worship God through the celebration of the Lord's table. At the end, we have an offering box and you can worship as the Lord desires, has impressed upon your heart. You worship Him with your giving. Alright? Let's close our time with a word of prayer, but stay behind until we finish this song which speaks about the one multitude of all peoples of all tongues giving praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. God Almighty, we thank you for your word this morning. God Almighty, we thank you for everything that's going on in our midst. Father, indeed, you alone are to be worshipped, glorified, and praised in all these things. And even as we remain, Lord God, to even to sing to you about this song, about revelations. Father God, be blessed to dismiss us with your blessing, with your hand of mercy. And Father, just allow us a good time of fellowship. Even as we pray a blessing on the food, we pray that you bless the hands of those who prepared them and allow us to fellowship with each other, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>